All right, we're going to go into uh, Luke chapter 7. So here's the deal. If you have a phone with the Bible on it, take it out, open up to Luke chapter 7, okay? If you don't have a phone with a Bible app on it, raise your hand. We want to get a real Bible into your hands. It's really important. We're going to do some dialogical stuff where I'm going to ask some questions. You're going to answer some stuff, and you're going to need to look at the text in order to be able to do that. So have your phones out. If a text message pops up, do your best to not respond to it right away. Uh, but here's the deal. Okay, so we're going to work through this text in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. If you haven't been with us, we are in week three of a series called Love Walked Among Us. The premise is pretty simple. The Bible is replete with verses that tell us that God is love. Okay? Now, the Bible is also filled with verses that are going to say, and Jesus is God. And so by simple deduction, what does that mean? That means Jesus is love. And so when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, we saw love embodied walk amongst people. Okay? That we saw the epitome, the example, the embodiment of love uh, go in of, into rooms and out of rooms to make chairs, to hang out with friends, and to teach the way he taught. Love was teaching in this way. There's this great quote by this guy, Jonathan Lehman. He's the editorial director at Nine Marks, which is a phenomenal organization if you want to check them out. But he says this. It says, when it says God is love, it's not saying there's this thing out there called love and that God measures up to it. There is no dictionary definition of love hovering outside the universe independent of God so that God answers to it. Rather, God in himself provides the definition, the reality of what love is. In other words, we don't know love if we don't have Jesus. Okay? Like, if Jesus did not come, we could not see love embodied. When we, like, if you were to think through our culture and say, well, what is love? Like, what are the characteristics of love? We cannot have those outside of Christ. Love is Jesus. Jesus is love. So it's not that he just does loving things. It's that he is love. And then here, we as now his ambassadors, if you're in the room and you're a Christian, that's what you would identify with. You're saying he is Lord. He has said, you are now my representative to the world. So when they began to think, as we look in this series, when Jesus walked into a room, love walked into the room. So the question for us begins, as his representatives equipped with his spirit, when you walk into the room, does love walk in the room with you? So whatever space you exist in, wherever you call home, wherever you recreate, wherever you play, wherever you hang out, wherever you study, wherever you work, when you go to those places, does love walk in the room with you? Because at the primary identity of the mission of God is love. Because he is love. Amen? And so this whole point of this series has been, okay, what does it look like then for us to fall deeper in love with Jesus? Because, man, that's just phenomenal to hear these things about him. To delve deeper into the gospel stories and say, wow, look at the way that he acts. And then the second part is, well, then let's engage. Let's apply then what we learn. Because if not, we're just fools. If we take good information, if we take things that the work of, that the God is that God is trying to do, and we don't apply, it's just foolish of us, right? And so here is the deal. So love walked among us. Does love walk among us as we go around? That's the idea here. Now, um, we said two weeks ago that at the heart of love, the first step is seeing. Okay, that you cannot love someone unless you see that person. It's impossible. 
I want you to think about this. Uh, if I were to go to my wife, Verity, who's not here today, uh, she's with our sick kids, but I went to my wife, Verity, and I said, Verity, I, I don't know what it is about you today. You're just so beautiful. It, it must be your black hair and your brown eyes, right? Now, why would that be a problem? Because my wife is blonde, right? <laughs> so if I went to her and said these things, this is problematic for me, okay? You see, even on the basis physical level, you cannot love, you cannot show appreciation, you cannot engage unless you actually look and see someone. What Jesus invites us into is seeing not just the physical, but seeing beyond it and seeing into people and seeing their heart and seeing their value and seeing their minds, their thoughts, who they are as people. And we might say, well, that's just Jesus. He can do that because he's Jesus, right? No, no, his spirit resides in you. And so as we stare intentionally, look intentionally at people, we can see and then we can love, but we cannot do the other before the former. You have to be able to see people. So here's what today's text does. Um, the last couple weeks have been primarily about Jesus seeing an individual. Today, it's really, I think, about a couple. He's going to see a couple people in this series. In fact, if you look at, at the top, look, look at your phones, what does it say in bold letters above this passage in Luke 36 through 50? Luke 7, 36 through 50. What, what in bold letters does it say? say you can say it louder. Just, let's get going. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman, a sinful woman forgiven, I heard, right? So all the focus is on this woman, right? And listen, that's not wrong. That's here. But I'm going to say I think they got it wrong in the title. Like I think there's more to this story than just this sinful woman. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. So here we go. Let's look at the text. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a Sinner. So let's, let's set the stage a little bit, okay? So Jesus gets invited to go have lunch at the Pharisee's house. There would have been a, a group of people, some other Pharisees, maybe some scribes in the room, and Jesus, this, this rabbi, this prophet, gets invited in. Now they're reclining at the table. Traditional sense at the time would have meant they were sitting at a round table pretty low to the floor. They would have leaned in probably on an elbow or on a shoulder or on their hand like this with their feet pointed away from the table because feet were gross, okay? Feet are gross now. Feet were real gross back then, okay? You've got shoes and socks. They did not really have those. Some people wore sandals, but it was messy. It was dirty. People weren't showering every day. Your feet were a mess, and so you kept them away from the other people as respect and then from the dinner table as you would eat. That's the idea. This woman walks in, uninvited. And she comes in. She comes before Jesus, and honestly, for that culture, commits one of the most scandalous acts we read in the New Testament. Well, she begins to touch the feet of a rabbi, her being unclean, the rabbi being clean. Begins, begins to engage with this prophet, which was not her place. And so here's what I want us to do is we're talking about, hey, if we want to love well, we've got to be able to see people. We've got to be able to like, look and see and know them. So let's practice. Let's, I want you to look at the text and let's see this woman together. Who is she? 
Who is this woman? And go ahead. Just some of the stuff that's in the text, other stuff you feel like you can extrapolate. But who is this woman? Go ahead. Don't feel shy. She's brave. That's really good. Is that you said brave? What? She got stoned for that. That's really good. So right off the bat, right? And here's what I love. With my brother here, he went right to the positive. There's a beautiful positive reality to what happens here. Okay? There is a bravery. There is a power. There is a boldness that comes with what she's just done. To come into that room. Has anyone ever been in a room where you got into it and you're like, I shouldn't be here. Okay? <laughs> like, th- like th- this is not the right fit for me right now. Okay? She walks into a room where she would have been despised. She's known by people in the room as being this sinner. And so she walks in and she greets the prophet. And you're right, she could have been killed for this. So there's a boldness and a power to her. What else? Who is this woman? Weeping. Weeping. Perfect. So she comes in, and here's what we're guessing, right? This is not like single tear type of weeping. Right? She, she, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears, so this is like sad, ugly face crying, okay? Like this stuff is coming down as she enters into this room. What else? Let's talk, okay, what else is going on with her posture, her body? Let's just talk about this woman. Let's see her. Submissive. She comes in, she comes at the feet of Jesus, trying to seek to worship him. It's beautiful. What else? Humble, right? There's this real humility to her. She doesn't walk in as if she deserves something, but rather sees, man, this is Christ, and falls at his feet to worship him, okay? Anything else about this woman that stands out from our text? I already said it, but let's just read She's a sinner, right? So, she, so she's, she's known to the people in the room, like I said. She's a sinner. Now, um, a lot of your commentaries are going to point to this woman being a prostitute. Now, here's the deal. We don't fully know she was, okay? A lot of the contextual stories uh, and ideas around the time would probably point to that reality. And if that's true, let's just give you this little nugget. This is really fascinating. Now, she's wearing this alabaster flask of ointment. You have to understand, like a woman in that trade, okay, this is not where she wanted to be, right? This was not, hey, I felt like living in this. This was probably she was there because of, more than likely, a death in the family to her parents and any other male relatives that were going to take care of her. Or there was some injustice. Or some bad decisions were part of it at times as well. But she was not looking to be part of it. She was looking for a way out. And so all of these women would be trying to say, how do I get out of this life? And can anyone guess what the alabaster flask of ointment could have been for her? A way out. That is a ton of money in this little thing. It it could have been her way out of the trade. It could have been the thing that she could have used as an exit strategy to improve her physical future. But instead, she comes in and she anoints her Savior with this, seeing Jesus as the true and greater exit plan. Seeing Jesus as a further and greater act of worship to come before him than even changing her own circumstance. So then we read this story like, man, what, what have I laid at the feet of Jesus? What have I laid at the foot of the cross to worship him? Was it everything? Because that's what she's laying down. So this woman, a sinner, there's much to be pitied, if you will. 
There's much to be celebrated in her boldness and in her strength. And what she does to come before and in that room to do what she did with Christ would have been thought of in so many scandalous ways. Especially as she lets her hair down to wash his feet. This is like a sign of promiscuity in the first century. So there's all of these issues and cultural things going on. And this is the story that Jesus now finds himself in. And where and how is he going to respond to this? Now, as this is going on, you have uh, now this switch. Where when she first came in the room, who do you think the Pharisee is judging? Her. Now, as the story goes on, where does the judgment turn to for the Pharisee? To Jesus. You see the beauty of the gospel there? If, if you focus in on it, that Jesus in this moment takes her guilt, takes her shame, takes her judgment, and puts it on himself. It's a foreshadow, friends, of what was coming on the cross. This gospel picture in the middle of this story to say, you're judging her, now judge me. I will be judged on behalf of her. I will stand in the place. This is the gospel. This is love, right? We talked about the decreasing nature of the love of Christ, that we must decrease the descending reality of the love of Christ. We die to self that others would be lifted up and experience the love of God. So that, that's a beautiful picture. Now, um, here's his, uh, I want to read verse 39, and then we'll jump into 40. So 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Now here we go. Verse 40, Jesus' response. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and another 50 when they cannot pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said that you have judged rightly. Now, I want to hone in on verse 40 real quick. There's two things that I think are just kind of phenomenal in verse 40 that jump out that we haven't seen up to this point. Can anyone kind of see them out? What steps out in verse 40? What's that? Greater? Oh, greater love. Okay, yep. What else? Knew what the man was thinking, right? Like, think about it. verse 39. The Pharisee says something out loud or to himself? Go ahead. You got, it's easy. It's to himself. Yep. Sorry, Bionni. Still my guy. Uh, so, so he says something to himself. It's right, you just look down. It's right there, okay? Um, this is like open book test right now, guys, okay? So like open book test it. Just look down. Answer's right there. So, um, so he says something to himself, but in verse 40, Jesus answers this dude's inner thought. That's crazy. Like, like some of you guys, like I know some of you are thinking already. This is how I'm like very Christ-like. You're thinking what happened to his leg, and I'll tell you. I have gout, okay? And so... That's what's happening, okay? You don't wonder what happened here? Gout happens, okay? Don't eat too much shellfish and drink too much water. And so, um, and so I knew you were thinking that, right? Because I know you, and you guys are all just staring at my boot this whole time, wondering what happened. No, here's what Jesus is doing. He sees this man, and he knows this man, and so he knows what's there. He knows the judgment of his heart. He looks into his life, and then he answers his inner thought. Love that. There's one other thing that is real. It's the seventh word in verse 40, so I'm going to give it to you. As, by any, don't answer. But someone else, the seventh word 
in verse 40. This stands out to me. Simon, Simon okay? You guys need to do better. I pay Anthony, right? So he has to answer. You guys need to just speak up, okay? So Simon, now notice, do you see the Pharisee's name in 36 through 39? No, right? Multiple times, right? Verse 36, one of the Pharisees, the Pharisee's house. Verse 37, table in the Pharisee's house. 39, the Pharisee who invited him. Intentionally, doesn't seem like he's being left out, but then in verse 40, finally we get a name to this nameless Pharisee, and his name is Simon. Do we notice that he does not have a name until Jesus speaks to him? I think what it shows us in the text is this intentional turn of Jesus to not just focus on the one woman, but to focus on this man as well to say, I'm about to do something with your life also. That I'm about to invite you into what I'm about, which is the kingdom of God. I'm about to invite you into the gospel story because you need to see this. And what he's about to do with this woman who has shown this devotion is use her in the best way possible as a sermon illustration to convict and change the heart of the self-righteous, which is my hope for us today too, is that we would look at this story And I think there's a couple people we can identify with, and one we can't. We can identify with the woman who's broken, is sin-filled, and in need of a Savior. And we can also identify with the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks at times, and we're good enough, and so we can judge others out of that. Now, maybe there's individuals in your life, maybe there's whole people groups that you've cast judgment on, or rather, that you've thought you were better than, or rather, the way to say it, I think, is that you weren't as bad as, or if you use the language of, well, I did it the right way, or stuff like that, which inhibits you and me from being able to love first, which is the first step of the mission and purpose and heart of our Savior that we would love as the lens with which we do life. And your and my self-righteousness blocks that love. It blocks compassion. It blocks our seeing. And we find ourselves in judgment over people we don't even know. And this stuff is significant in our country. It's significant in our own individual stories, and we know it. And so we have to begin to become then like Jesus. We'll never be Jesus. He's the only one that can be Jesus, but he's going to empower us all to then come into this beautiful middle area. So let me just go back to this parable. This is Jesus' answer to the Pharisee, is this parable, right? So uh, let me pick a couple people. Michael, you own a home, so this will start. We'll start with you. So Michael, you owe me your house, which is great. Love your house. Uh, you owe me two cars, and I want four of your daughters. You can can keep a couple. Um, uh, That sounds strange, like just a babysitter and stuff like that. And so, uh, and then I want your soccer credentials and your favorite bracelet of carries, right? So you owe all that, right? Uh, And then let's, Bayani, I'm coming back to you, bro. You owe me an olive, okay? That's it, just an olive. Now, if I come to the both of you and I say, guys, guess what? Debt's canceled, okay? Who's more stoked? This is obvious. We're already getting this from the text, okay? Michael's stoked, right? 
You're like, dude, I could have walked into Sprout's stolen rum from that olive bar and brought it to you. Okay? You're like, this is no problem. But I do wonder, Bayani, what are you thinking about Michael in that moment? That's intense, yeah. It's like that new camping movie. Um, <laughs> it's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> hear me. Everyone uh, that we had in the first service, too, they answered all these self-right, or not sorry, self-righteous, but all these really good, holy, and righteous answers. I'm going to be honest. If it were me, I'd be jealous. If it were me, I'd be frustrated. If it were me, I think I'd be a little angry. If it were me, I'd be like, man, I should have gotten to more debt. Right? Like, I should have wild out. I should have just done whatever I wanted because if you were just going to forgive it and all I owed you was this little thing, what, what's the big deal? You're going to forgive him as much as you forgave me? I'm the good person here. I've lived a good life. I only owed you an olive. I'd be frustrated with the fact that for some reason, the moneylender said, no, your debt's canceled too. Now, I don't know if you guys are just holier than me. It's probably true. But I just wonder, is that not sometimes, do you never have that? How about this? How about when in an argument, do you ever feel like you need to contend for you being right? Why? Because you have to be right. Because if you're not right, that means they're right, and they're more right than you, but that's unjust because you're right. The reality is, is that we all battle this self-righteous cycle. And because of it, then, we judge the other when grace is received. When you begin to say things like, well, I did it the right way. Or do you know how hard I worked for this? And that stuff is just self-righteous. And it's an antithesis to the ability to love the way Christ loved. Because let me ask you, who is the only person that could truly be self-righteous? Jesus. Who's the only person that's been perfect and could absolutely judge perfectly? Jesus. And yet he doesn't. Isn't that phenomenal when you begin to think about this? Like there was one who could lift up their self-righteousness, but he chooses not to. Why? For the sake of loving the other. For the sake of making the other more important. It's the fulfillment of the entire scope of history. That God would bless people, that they would bless others. That God would love people, that they would love others. From the very beginning, it's been this way. As he commanded to his people in Israel that you would love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you would love your neighbor as yourself. Love walked among us in church. We are called to be that love to the world. When we walk into places, does love walk in with you? Do people experience that seeing and that compassion and that care? That's the movement of the church. So let's, let's keep going. The last couple little parts here. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman, Simon? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he is who is forgiven little loves 
little. Now, this is a heavy, heavy indictment upon the Pharisee here. I mean, verse, verse 44, I think, is our key verse, maybe in the whole text. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you actually see her? Now, now hear me. Did he physically see her? Like, did he have eyes? Can, was he blind? No. Like, did he see this woman? Yes. Did he see her in the way that Jesus did? No. And so what he's inviting him into is saying, like, like Simon, you, get, you don't see this woman. You're so caught up in your self-righteousness, but you know the law. You know you're not righteous. You know that it was Abraham that was only accounted righteousness to him because of faith. You know that Psalms and Isaiah, when compiled by Paul, you wouldn't have known Paul said it, but in Psalms and Isaiah it says, is there anyone righteous? No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And just goes on to expound on the brokenness of humanity. And I think the reality is, is that he's saying to Simon, he's like, look, bro, you know why you can't see this woman is because you don't think you have much to be forgiven for. You think you're good to go. And I tell you what, he who has been forgiven little will love little. Church, that is true for us. If we don't know the depths of our brokenness, the depths of, man, it's just sometimes our desires for self-seeking gratification that oftentimes is at the expense of those people around us, those close to us, and those far away from us. If we don't see that, listen, you'll not be able to see. You'll not be able to have compassion. You surely won't be able to love. We have to see ourselves in the deep, great need that we have for our Savior. And in that, in that falling deeper in love with Christ, then then we say, hey, now I can love a lot. Because I know how much I've received. I know how important the gospel has been for me. Right? This isn't a message because the whole world is kind of from a young age. is like, hey, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. There's nothing wrong with you. You're great, you're great, you're great. Okay? When the truth is, no, we're kind of jacked up. There's things that are broken about us. And hear me, that's just, that's okay in the sense of, like, that's just natural. Like, you, you and I were born into this brokenness. But then Jesus came and provided a way for wholeness through the gospel, through the life that he came to live, the death that he died, and the resurrection that gives us new life. Like that, that faith in that will save us as we'll see. And so let's look at the last few verses and we'll be done. Verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in Peace. Now, this was a scandal in of itself. Right now, Jesus is forgiving the sins of this woman. He's done it once before in the book of Luke. This was not something that anyone outside of God can do. So it's a faith statement from Jesus saying, I'm God. I'm here. God's visited his people. Your sins are forgiven. And so the Pharisees, everyone on the table begins to say, like, did he just say that? He just said that. Oh my gosh, is this God, right? They begin to have the conversation. And it's the last line in verse 50 that would have been kind of the nail in the coffin of the sermon. He's trying to preach to self-righteous Simon. And it's that your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
You see, to the legalistic Pharisee, it was, you better get it right. You better do everything correct. Works and legalism drove the Pharisee. And it puffed them up to a self-righteousness that then inhibited their ability to love. And guess what? It inhibited their ability to see Jesus. So he says to this woman, you know what saved you? It's your faith. It wasn't because you laid all of this down. It wasn't because of you running in here, although those are all amazing things. It's your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And all this time, if you noticed in the text, even did you notice that in different parts of the text, he's looking right at the woman, but he's talking to Simon? You see that Jesus was so engaged and is so engaged with all people in all places, in all states, in all backgrounds in order that he might bring them into the family and kingdom of God. And it's all centered through the way he loves. We talk about the mission of the church. Why are we here? Why do we gather? Why do we do this? Why is the church the church? And I'm going to tell you, it's not so we have fun on Sundays. Now, hopefully, there's some of that we can enjoy singing and rejoicing and being with one another, enjoying some great pastries, right? That's good. But we come to mobilize because we're the people of God that are called to go and love the world. That's why we're here. That's why we hear from the word of God is that the spirit of God who resides in us would so transform us and renew our minds that we would be conformed in the image of Jesus so when we go, love goes. That's the idea. Faith has saved you, Simon. So here's a question. We wonder, well, did it work? Now we know for the woman, right? She's, your faith has saved you. She's good. She's in. She's part of the family. And oftentimes there's been this question, well, whatever happened to Simon? And a lot of commentaries, as you delve into it now, would begin to say they think Simon became a believer. And, and here's why they think it. Because how else would they know this story? You see, as, as you begin to think through this, um, Luke wrote this from eyewitness account. Now Luke wasn't in the room. But Luke wrote this whole gospel. Jesus wasn't there when Luke was writing this down. So then you begin to say, well, like, who, who told this guy? And more than likely, it was probably Simon telling this Christian about his testimony of how he came to faith. And this is what I did. And this is how I treated this woman. And this is how Jesus called me out of my self-righteousness and into the gospel which set me free. We get a picture, we get a fly on the wall in this moment of seeing the transformation of both the self-righteous and the sinner all in one beautiful story centered around the love of Jesus. And that's why we exist. And so hear me, some of you guys, uh, you're coming from different places today and so some of you are like, I identify with this person or that person and, and you're somewhere, somewhere in between a little bit of both, but the reality is if you are here and you are a Christian, you are more deeply loved than you would ever imagine. There's a, there's a quote that we say here all the time. We haven't said it in a while, so I'm going to say it. But there's a quote that says, you are more uh, sinful and flawed than you would ever, ever believe, but you are more loved and accepted than you'd ever dare hope. Like, that is the chasm between us and God, and Jesus bridged it for us in love, laying down his own self-righteousness that he deserved, his own pride that he deserved, that we would be lifted up. Now we go and do the same. There's so many take-home questions from this. 
My first desire is you'd fall deeper in love with Christ. Because what a story. What a person. What a God. And then, and then secondly, we begin to then take those little micro questions as the Spirit might be asking you, well, who is the person that maybe you can't see because your own self-righteousness is blocking you? I tell you, there's things, and I share this the first service, so I'll share with you as well. There's things, and as, as I wrap up here, there's things that are happening across our valley right now, um, and it breaks my heart because it's Christians that are predominantly giving the painful critique um, and listen, I don't know where everyone lands politically on this stuff, and this is not trying to be political in any sort of uh, stretch of imagination, um, but ICE and, and DHS, Department of Homeland Security, have approached Redemption Church and a whole host of churches down in the valley uh, to take in asylum seekers that are coming across the border, okay? So ICE can only hold them for 20 days, and then they have to let them go. So they're asking the churches, can you guys help and kind of bridge the gap here? And so... Uh, in response to the request of the government and desire to love these people well, we're like, absolutely. And so Redemption Church West Mesa uh, is our bilingual congregation, so a lot have been going to their facilities over there, and there's a few churches in their little park. And this has been happening for a couple months now in a partnership of uh, a bunch of churches across the valley. Um, what we keep getting is a whole ton of messages and a whole ton of mail from Christians that are wishing the wrath of God upon us and our families, right? That are, that are trying to call down, like literally, like, we're gonna call down fire. We're praying against you. Calling, calling our brothers and sisters from the south, the south right? From, from uh, Central America and those migrants that are coming over, calling them things like cockroaches, and, and that's like the best of the insults. And this is coming from brothers and sisters in Christ, at least as they would say they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not one to judge someone, but that doesn't seem like the fruit or the Spirit of God and His fruit. But hear me, we could hear those stories and think, I would never do that. But I think we'd be foolish to not acknowledge our own biases, not acknowledge our own judgments, not acknowledge our own need to press deeper into the gospel that we would be transformed, that love would walk where we walk. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are you're so faithful. Uh, we don't deserve your love, and neither did Simon, and neither did this woman. But God, you extended it to both of them. And you've extended it to all of us in this room. And Lord, I pray for those who have yet to just reach out and grab it and embrace it and, and that have not known you, God, that they would know you deeply. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to them and speak to their hearts and speak to their ears, that they would just know the depths to which you laid down like all authority, God, that you would be able to be here amongst us to show us love. And Lord, we pray then for those in here that would be called church, that would be called your family, God, that we would be convicted in our sin, convicted in our self-righteousness, and we would lay those down for the opportunity to walk in the same love that you've walked in. Jesus, give us eyes just to see you better, to fall deeper in love with you. You are phenomenal. Thank you that you've seen us and you know us, and I pray, God, that in the midst of that reality, God, that you would... Bless us, Lord, in being your people, that we would be a people of love as we leave this place today. God, thank you for the story. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.